0: Welcome to T.D. Cowan Insights, a space that brings leading thinkers together to share insights and ideas shaping the world around us. Join us as we converse with the top minds who are influencing our global sectors.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Retail Visionary podcast series, a podcast about visionary ideas and people. My name is Oliver Chen, I'm T.D. Cowan's retail, luxury, and new platforms analyst. In today's episode, we'll learn more about Cortina, which is a leader in marketplace software as a service platform for celebrity brands such as Push by Kourtney Kardashian and Airmail. We'll also discuss the future of retail marketplaces and traditional direct-to-consumer models. I'm thrilled to host Keith George, co-founder and CEO of Cortina, Before founding Cortina in 2021, Keith was the Chief Merchandising Officer of Guild.com. Keith also worked in a variety of senior roles in retail at companies like Coca-Cola, Ernst & Young, UPS, and Gap, Inc. Keith received his MBA from the University of Texas at Austin and his BA from the University of Virginia. Keith, it's great to have you here.
0: Thank you for having me. So, Keith, what is Cortina, and why are marketplaces so important? Well, if you think about traditional retail, which has been going on you know, for hundreds of years, everything was predicated on buying the right inventory, having the right inventory in place for a customer to come into a store and purchase that inventory and take it home. With technology, all of that is... Um, all the requirements around inventory have completely changed. As we also know, inventory is one of the most you know, difficult things for retailers to manage. So what Cortina does is enables retailers, e-commerce players to actually provide products on their site without actually buying that inventory first. They connect virtually to the supplier's e-commerce systems, bringing in all the product information, real-time inventory, real-time pricing, et cetera, onto their site. But they don't actually pay for the inventory until after the customer buys it themselves. So it removes a lot of the risk in in traditional retail.
1: Keith, uh, do retailers want marketplaces what do consumers think about marketplaces and what is a marketplace?
0: Well, there's two types of marketplaces. I think the first one that most people kind of understand is the Amazon marketplace. I find it to be very difficult for actually everyone to just replicate that outside of, you know, Target, Walmart, Amazon. Endless aisle becomes quite confusing. Paradox of choice starts to exist. And so that type of marketplace is really challenging. And there's some people who are trying to replicate it. I'm not sure how much success that, that there will be in that, that. What I do believe though, is in this idea of what I call like a curated marketplace or curated direct fulfillment. There's a real opportunity because again, we come back to inventory is the one thing that's really crushing retailers. So if you can remove a lot of the inventory constraints in a business, you can create a winning formula. And so there's this place where I see and where Cortina sits is right at this intersection where it says, okay, hey, let's help great retailers remove a lot of the inventory friction. And let's say maybe they're offering 150 brands on their site. Well, maybe they want to continue to carry you know the top 25, 30 brands in stock because they want to be able to have that product and ship it quickly. But the long tail of brands that have been clogging up their warehouses and their fulfillment centers, let's move that into a more of a marketplace model so you can actually have the best of both worlds. And that's what I'm seeing people um, starting to move towards.
1: Keith, Cortina is a leader in marketplace software. How are you different from other solutions? You know, what do you offer uh, relative to a
0: retailer trying to do this by themselves? Right. Okay. Well, at Guild, we were definitely of the, the mindset of let's just build everything ourselves. And what I've learned is that as we've kind of continued in the evolution of technology, the idea of building everything just doesn't make any sense anymore. Focus on building the things where it's competitive for you. And then there, there are things that, that are, are non-competitive, meaning in this back end of, of retail, let someone else do it. We've been building out this technology for five years. What I see is basically a lot of retailers wanting to move to this marketplace model, which we just talked about. They, they think that is the next big thing. You know, it's again, we move from the NFTs and metaverse. Now marketplace is kind of the, the big buzzword. But in the end, people want to be able to maintain their point of view. Merchants want to be able to serve their audience well. And so what Cortina does is, is if you take an old dropship type model, which really just was an operational model, where it's like they would sync inventory and a little bit of product information. And this other idea, this like very you know advanced marketplace where you know the suppliers have complete control and you kind of like shoot right down the middle where you're giving merchants and teams greater ability to actually um, have efficiency in getting products onto the site, but then also still maintaining control of what that point of view is, that is something where we're seeing people move towards.
1: What is the curated dropship model, as you call it, and what are major use cases or examples of marketplace models uh, that you're, you're running and created now?
0: Okay, well, we do have um, two types of different marketplaces that we work with. You mentioned kind of this kind of celebrity influencer, kind of um, creator economy, and then there's also, we also serve a lot of very traditional uh, retailers, Curate Retail Group, which has um, Soon, which is a new live shopping app, is, is a customer of ours. But typically, if you think about this, a great example, just because I think it's relevant for most people and people can kind of grasp it, is Kourtney Kardashian's Poosh. She has a lifestyle site called Poosh, where you know, she has you know, hundreds of millions of followers that you know, want to basically have a piece of, of her life. She has 75 plus brands that she sells on, on her site. All of those brands, instead of buying that inventory, storing it in a warehouse, taking all the risk and liability of the, that, what she does is she connects to those brands virtually through Cortina. We bring in all the product information, but no one knows who Cortina is the, from a consumer standpoint. They shop on her site as if she owns that inventory. But the big difference is, is that when Cortina gets paid today, she drops that order back through Cortina. Cortina the brands ship it to the end the, consumer, that all the notifications come back from the brands to us to Courtney's site. So, again, the end consumer only hears from Courtney's team, but Courtney doesn't have any of the risk. And she has a negative working capital model because the money she gets paid today, she doesn't pay out to the suppliers until an average 30, 45 days later.
1: Well, Keith, I want the Oliver Chen store. When are we going to do that?
0: <laughs> whenever you're ready. Whenever you're ready.
1: This relationship with Courtney Kardashian and Push. How does she ensure trust and, and the, the experience for the customer? That's an important aspect too.
0: Right. This goes back to the different types of marketplace model. This is not a scenario. Cortina does not enable a scenario where, where any supplier can just come on and throw up any product on anybody's website. Nobody really, nobody wants that. People want to own their experience. And so in this case, Courtney has identified the brands. We connect the brands. And Courtney and her team manage what products are on those sites. They have you know, standard vendor agreements, all the things that you do in typical retail, those are all in place to make sure things are shipped on time, pricing is competitive, all of those pieces are in place. The only thing is, instead of buying the inventory and shipping it across the country to a warehouse in Los Angeles, for example, it stays in the supplier's warehouse and they ship directly. And I think this is something that we really do need to, to discuss is that, you know, Kardashians, you know, aren't traditional retailers, but they've kind of leapfrogged a lot of people in building out a model of the future.
1: Great topic in terms of influencers. You know, what's happening in that uh, market, in your opinion, Keith? What are the current models influencers use and what might be the future?
0: The traditional influencer that maybe just wants to get their picture taken and, and, you know, collect checks will always go off just the affiliate model. It's just the simplest way to do it. Let me take this photo. I'm going to post it, connect off to Nordstrom Rack or wherever, and then I'll just kind of collect small checks from there. That will always be there. And I think that that there's, it's, it's not going away, but there is a place where people are starting to say, I have an audience and it's a large audience. And how can I monetize that audience in a, in a much greater way? In a model like we operate a curated marketplace model, the, the commissions and, and rates almost become wholesale margins. Or even higher at sometimes. So when once you take out a lot of the, when you account for risk, and so people are starting to identify where can I build this business and do it in a way that's low cost. Because again, what is the number one thing that matters is an audience. And you take someone like Kourtney Kardashian, and you take someone even like Kevin Durant, who's got his boardroom site. You've got different people. Having the audience is what matters, and having that influence. And I always like to say, is, you know, Mr. Macy, I believe, was born two hundred years ago. No one really cares what Mr. Macy has to say anymore. People care what their, you know, who the people that they follow on Instagram and TikTok have to say. And that is where the influence comes. And that's where the consumer power comes.
1: Keith, on Macy's topic, Macy's is, has a marketplace now and is innovating here. Another company, Miracle, is powering this. Um, how is your product different from that? And what do you see happening there?
0: I do find it a little confusing how Macy's has kind of approached this. I'm not, I can imagine that some of the internal conversations at Macy's were like, Amazon is eating our lunch. How are we going to compete with Amazon? But I come back to, there's only a few people that can be all things to everyone. You and if you try to do that, sometimes you end up being no- nothing to no one. And I feel like Macy's is caught in this, in a little bit of a trap. And some of the more traditional retailers are also, where it's like, no one really knows exactly what to do. And so it's like, okay, well, we know that some people who are beating us are doing this, so let's go do this as well. But Macy's Marketplace, to me, I'm not really sure what the what the reason for being is. Because again, coming back to you need an audience, you need a point of view, you need a position, you need to be able to actually like serve that audience with something that is that's that's different than everyone else outside of a few players, meaning, you know, again, Walmart, Amazon, Target, who can be all things to all people. For Macy's, I feel like having just an Open marketplace where brands can just upload whatever product they want, no price consistency. All of that seems a little bit confusing to me. But I've been confused with a lot of Macy's moves in the past as well.
1: It's a great question, Keith. How do you balance curation, you know, relative to selection? It, Macy's has a lot of scale, and most of America, you know, shops there, and everybody knows what it is, of course. So what about that dynamic between? Uh, long tail and product availability versus curation versus trust?
0: I think it goes back to discovery. Discovery is important, as mentioned, or as I believe. I don't go to Amazon to discover anything. I go to Amazon because I need more Windex, you know, but I do go to other places to discover products. And I feel like Macy's has lost a little bit of that. How do we go for discovery? Back in the day, if you can imagine, you know, you know, 20 years ago, the idea of people going to Barney's, you know, on a Saturday and discovering what new brands and the merchants being able to actually like introduce brands to, to people that were just have been craving them. That just doesn't really exist when you just put, you know, thousands of, of brands on, on, a, on a website and you're not able to actually curate and kind of like tell stories about it. I do believe being able to tell stories in retail is really, really important. And so audience, content, storytelling, all that is very, very important. And so having some level of curation, whether it be, you know, a no inventory model or buying inventory is absolutely critical.
1: Keith, what sets Cortina apart from other providers such as Miracle?
0: Well, Miracle is, you know, focused exclusively on the enterprise customer. They are quite expensive and the implementations are are quite long. In addition to the fact that it's really focused on again, building almost like endless aisle time marketplace versus kind of a curated drop dropship marketplace. Traditionally most of our customers, you know, are attracted to the fact that we're probably seventy five percent cheaper and we move very, very quickly. In this today's market, having a quick ROI is really important and that is something that we're able to deliver versus a company like Miracle.
1: Speed and cost definitely matter. Yeah. Keith Gilt, you know, is and was an iconic brand. What were some of the learnings you had from there? Uh, related question, a bit different. How, how did you start Cortina?
0: Okay, so just to, to discuss Guilt first. So, Guilt was a rocket ship, and and I and and to be to clarify, I was not a co-founder at Guilt. I was one of the leading execs at Guild. I was Chief Merchandising Officer, but I, I joined in in about 2011, and it was a rocket ship. The challenge that we had at Guild was that consumers loved it. But it was a very difficult business model, and so being in with from a standpoint of the margins and off price combined with the creative costs that we had in order to actually get the products live and the sales live. If you remember, we were changing the site every day. So think about the the operational costs, the creative costs, all that stuff to run that business. And so it was really difficult for us to become profitable. And of course, you know, as we've seen with a lot of a lot of the high flying you know e-commerce companies, you know. That path to profitability becomes very elusive, and then you either get hammered, either in the private markets or in the public markets. But some, at some point, the chickens come home to roost. I think what I learned a lot at Guilt was again having a, a good business model from the beginning really matters because you can't just scale your way out. Oftentimes, some people have pr- I've done it, but it's very rare. And so the one thing that I always will remember at Guilt was, you know, we had. Hundreds of millions of dollars of working capital tied up in inventory. We had twenty-eight photo studios operating almost seven days a week. We really had a lot of like operational just baggage. And so when it, when we moved from an email-driven mar, um, marketing model, remember back in two thousand eight, two thousand nine, you know we were, you know, Gil was one of the first people to do a lot of email marketing, which was effectively free. Once it started moving towards like a paid model, we just didn't have. The cushion in our margin to be able to, to do that. And so, my co founder, Brooke Haney, who was fashion director and head of brand acquisition at, at Guilt as well, she and I and Kevin Ryan, who was actually the original founder of Guilt, when we started kind of um, our next company after we left Guilt, which, which was a consumer marketplace, we said, How do we do this with no inventory, no creative costs? And so, Cortina actually was born organically. We had started this um, marketplace that was consumer driven called Coedition. Uh, and we wanted to basically connect to any any brand. And so the first brands were like, we're on Magento. So we developed connectors for Magento. The next were on Shopify and WooCommerce. And ultimately, we built out really a headless kind of technology platform. And people came and asked us to license it themselves. And then that's what, what ended up becoming Cortina.
1: Keith, which retailers are on your radar now? Uh, which ones are you more concerned about from an industry perspective?
0: the The retail that's kind of on my ra- radar right now. I've recently met the founders. I'm not sure if you know Cider, C I D E R. They have been, you know, growing really, really quickly. They're, it's an interesting mix of founders, and I, and I think the reason why I'm, I'm interested in them kind of also goes with the retailers that I'm concerned about. You know, it's a young group of founders. They studied in the U.S., but they have roots in China, and so they have a lot of kind of like supply chain operational kind of advantages based in, in kind of the the network that they have in China, able to produce products quickly and sell it. And they're just growing like gangbusters. But it's a young team that's really hungry and really understands kind of fashion and trends. What I think about retailers that I, I am concerned about, you know, as a gapping for a long time, those kind of middle market players I really struggle with. Because if you think about brands outside of Nike, which has, you know, lasted in part because I think they constantly are, you know, leveraging the 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 new talent. You know, again, my, my kids love Nike, but do they like Nike or do they like the athletes that, that Nike's kind of like promoting? You know, if I look at Gap, if I look at some companies like that, I struggle because there are frankly people like me that have been in the industry for, you know, 20, 30 years who are trying to reinvent a brand that just doesn't resonate anymore. And the challenge is some of these brands become so big that as a leader, in order to be able to actually like really turn this thing on and change it, You'd have to take the kind of risk that might turn it way down as well and end up being, you know, if you wanna do a 25 comp at a company like Gap, you need to be able to take a risk that ends up could be a negative 25 comp. And I just don't see a lot of leaders in kind of these mono brand, mid level retail players willing to take those risks right now. And that is why I'm concerned about those brands. Keith,
1: customer acquisition costs have been a major topic, they've been really inflating. What does Cortina do with respect to that? What's happening?
0: Well, I've always believed that D2C is a tough business model, just having one website, driving everything there, and building your entire business in that way. All brands need some form of distribution. And I think with the rising acquisition costs, these types of models, such as Cortina's, Kardashian's model, really give people additional distribution, additional eyeballs at a much lower cost than, than trying to just pay your way to Facebook, Google, and Amazon, which basically dominate over 60% of, of digital ad spent.
1: Keith, on the topic of technology, um, we're, I'm a big believer in AI and AI powering magic and logic and yeah. what AI can do generatively as well as supply chain. What do you think about AI? What role will it play and what role might it not play in retail?
0: I, I I love it. I love it. I was not a fan of all the the chatter going around retail around Metaverse last year and all that. I just kind of thought it was a lot of noise. And on the AI side, I'm really excited. I think look at planning, merchandising, assortment mix, all this things going back to the curation that we talked about. If you think about like the old days of Mickey Drexler, you know, the merchant king and going in the rooms and picking this and this is what the consumer wants and all this stuff. There's only a few Mickey Drexlers right but the ability to actually take a lot of information across the industry and synthesize it into what are the what trends are happening, understanding again inventory movement all of those pieces really can affect planning, can affect obviously production can actually help reduce waste. there's so much impact here outside of just the traditional things around like customer service and all of those pieces that I think it, it will absolutely fundamentally change immediately.
1: Diversity and inclusion is also important to me as a topic for for everybody. How, what does that mean to you? So
0: Cortina was was born out of coedition, which was a plus size marketplace, which was all about you know in, inclusivity. And so we built that company on the idea that you know again you know there's 100 million women in this country that that are sizes 10 and above, and yet there's very few retailers that are that are serving them. So I think that there is a, a big opportunity here to be able to actually like. Really serve markets, and I think one thing that I do believe technology is enabling is being able to say, okay, let's actually provide companies and and personalization that is specific for this consumer that actually makes that consumer like um, feel best about themselves. I don't think if you go back 25 years, you know, and even when I was at Old Navy at times, I remember we would do, you know, for example, like the size scales, and we just didn't have enough information. To know, so what we would just do is send stuff, send a bunch of mediums to a store, and so of course people that you know didn't just fit that exact fit model were always left out, and I feel like that is where kind of like AI and technology can really improve.
1: Keith, what have been the secrets to your success, and also um, what are you most excited about?
0: I think the main thing for me, and again, I success is still something that I that I'm constantly searching for, but I think the main thing is always being open. And thinking yes before no. I love the idea of what's possible. And I understand that you know sometimes being able to actually say no at the right time is important, but really leading with yes and why not. Those are kind of like overarching philosophies, both in my personal life and in my professional life. And they continue to, to bear fruit. I think also with that is the relationships that I've been building across the years and just really focusing on that. I mean, in the end, yes you know, um, financial success is important and all these things. But, you know, a recent study on happiness came out and no surprise, what did it say? The number one leading indicator is the depth and breadth of the relationships you've had. And I think for me, I've adopted that both in my professional life and in my personal life. And that's been something that has been, you know, really important. And something that's exciting to me right now is I am really interested in what I'm almost calling not the post-pandemic bump, not the post-post-pandemic bomb, but what is this new kind of like equilibrium that we all find, again, professionally, personally, in every facet of our life that is coming out of COVID? Because I think, I don't know about you, but definitely I came out swung the pendulum very, very hard in many ways. One way, then it kind of came back. And now it's like, what is this new world order? I'm an optimist. So I know that when people, you know, start throwing around the word recession, it's almost become self-fulfilling in a way, but I remain an optimist. And so I feel like we're all just trying to find this kind of new normal and how we can actually achieve that and have like good kind of like mental health and stability, I feel is something that I'm really excited about.
1: Yeah, Keith, these topics around happiness, wellness, as well as um, community engagement are, are so important. And I think retail has a big role to play, you know, as this notion of what is experiential continues to evolve so keith it was wonderful to be with you here and to be your friend so yeah. thank you for briefing us on marketplaces the evolution of retail uh, views of what you're doing with software and how influencers are, are transforming
0: thank you for having me i really enjoyed it thanks for joining us stay tuned for the next episode of td cowan insights